On April the 8th, UK high street retailer Lush announced that it was closing its primary social media channels. In doing so, it called out social media algorithms and the need to pay to reach its own fans. Now, some in the marketing communications industry think it makes perfect sense from a business perspective, me included. But others, well, they're not so convinced. If Lush has these kind of environmental credentials and beauty, it's just got no excuse. Like, Why wouldn't you take that massive opportunity to get people to align themselves with your brand and show their peers that they're part of you? In today's show, social media consultant Helen Reynolds and I debate whether the rise of dark social and the need to pay to play mean that public social media just ain't all that for brands anymore. Or whether Lush is cutting off its nose despite its face. It feels like they just don't want to hear bad things anymore. It's putting their fingers in their ears. It's kind of going, we'll pay influencers to say nice things about us. And then if there's any bad stuff that comes back, they can handle that and we don't have to hear it. In the long run, as a brand, it needs to stay relevant. And if they're not in touch with their community in that same way, and if they have that level of absolute fingers in ears to anything that they don't like to hear, then I feel like the insights that they're getting as a business into how that brand is perceived are just going to be non-existent. That's coming up after this. This is Digital Download, a podcast that explores the latest thinking in digital communications, PR and social media. Here's your host, Paul Sutton. Today on the podcast, I have got Helen Reynolds of Comms Cartoons fame. So Helen, you've been doing these cartoons for quite a while now, haven't you? I have actually, yeah. I'm trying to think how long, probably over two years now, which is a long time for me to stick with anything. (laughs) I'm the same. (laughs) And how how did that all start in the first place? Uh, Well, I got to the point where I thought I should do things to kind of make myself a bit more creative. And I saw this course from Martin Shovel, who does cartoons in The Guardian and Private Eye. And his partner as well was running this workshop. So I went and there was only three of us. And it was just the most fun I'd ever had. And I learned so much. And He's also a speechwriter, so he just understands communications really well. Yeah. And then I just did some doodles and didn't care that they were crap. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't trying to be an artist. I was trying to communicate some ideas around my audience because I train comms and marketing teams in using social media. I just thought, well, what are the things that unite us? What are the things that we experience day to day? And I put them into cartoon form and it seems that they go down quite well. I'm quite pleased with that. Well, yeah, I mean, and it's a different form of media as well, because there aren't many people out there doing that sort of thing. So, I mean, I always watch out for them. I think they're really good. I really like it. Thank you. Well, it's funny. A friend of mine said, who works in communication, said, um, they're shit. I mean, they're shit, <laughs> but they're brilliant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I kind of knew what you meant. Like, they're not, they're not artistically brilliant, but they're good in that they, they help to explain things. And the main thing for me is making communicators and marketing people feel a bit like they're not on their own. Because I had that feeling when I was in a job in a council. I worked in a local authority for 10 years as their social media and, and web and stuff. And I always had this feeling of, am I the only one that has people asking me to go viral? Or, yeah, yeah. you know, all of those kind of things that you experience and you think, is it because I'm crap or is it because <laughs> they're crap? <laughs> um, and those cartoons discuss the idea of maybe it's because we're all crap. Yeah, I, I, like I say, I think it's fantastic. It's, it's something different that you see every now and then pop up. And uh, from that perspective, I think it's fantastic. Okay. But anyway, so today we're going to talk about Lush. 
which has in the last few days basically come out and said that it is going to stop using its own social media channels or some of them. It's a bit unclear, which we're going to go through. And uh, I happened to see a post of yours on LinkedIn and thought, well, I have a slightly different view to that. So hence inviting you to talk to me today about this, because what I hope is that we can, between us, present quite a balanced view on this. I think you're in agreement with that. Yeah, although I think we should have a fight about it. We could do that. If we were in the same room, we could actually have a proper fight, couldn't we? (laughs) I had a debate on this podcast just a couple of weeks ago with Daryl Sperry about whether blogging or podcasting was more beneficial for people and for brands. And with that one, I was well aware that I was in the minority (laughs) supporting podcasting. And it kind of turned out that way when we looked at it afterwards. But let's see how this goes anyway. (laughs) So just to sum up what happened then. So a couple of days ago, Lush announced on Twitter that it was shuttering a lot of its social media accounts. And it said, just word for word, it said, increasingly social media is making it harder and harder for us to talk to each other directly. We're tired of fighting with algorithms and we do not want to pay to appear in your newsfeed. And then it went on to talk about upping the conversation, which I thought was a really odd choice of words when you're talking about shutting down Twitter, for example. And it went on to say things like Lush has always been made up of many voices and it's time for all of them to be heard. And again, you think, what? It doesn't make a lot of sense. When you first look at that, it makes little sense. I think that's where you come from on this, right? Yeah, definitely. I think it sounds very coded and like the blame is elsewhere. Yes, you feel that they are putting the blame on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and whoever other channels they were using, right? Yeah, so they say we're tired of fighting algorithms. Yeah. It's this kind of like... This, like, poor us, we've been fighting algorithms. Well, I don't understand what the fight is. Algorithms reward engagement. And if they're not getting engagement, that's because their content isn't resonating with their audience. Okay. So, see, I agree to an extent with that. But I think it's, I think that's a very simplistic view of it. How dare uh, you? And the reason I say that, I know, it's disgusting. <laughs> the reason I say that is that while absolutely engagement and good content creates further reach. I don't feel that there's any real argument that these algorithms aren't actually hammering brand visibility at the moment. And it doesn't matter how good your content is, social media has become largely pay to play. Do you disagree with that? I do. I heartily disagree with it. Okay, interesting. First of all, we're talking about a big brand here. So let's say this idea that the algorithms are hammering them. Well, hang on a minute. They're not paying to use it. They've just said they don't want to spend money to increase their reach. So this big profit-making organisation is being attacked by someone giving them a free opportunity to communicate with their communities. I just don't understand it from that point of view that, you know, if you can't find that reach and you don't want to pay for it, what, are you going to moan about TV stations and not giving you free ads? But that comes to my point, is that the organic, the, the reach side of it, I don't think is really there anymore. I think you do have to pay. And if, if they have made a choice that they do not want to pay to be in the Facebook newsfeed anymore, and that's fine, that's a choice that they might make, I, for one, respect that because I, I, I work with a lot of clients who 
And I sit down with them and say, okay, look, we're going to do some content and we're going to do some content that has to add value, which again, I think you totally agree with. You you can't just pound products all the time. But I say to them, you're going to have to give me a budget for content amplification, specifically with Facebook and, uh, and Instagram in mind, not so much Twitter. But it's largely pay to play now, I believe. No, it's just not. It's just not. I mean, I think... If you understand your audience and what makes them talk about themselves, if you have a strategy around what kind of content you're putting out there, how you're boosting the audience by getting things and conversations that are not about promoting your product at all. Like, it is not good engaging content to put out lovely videos of your bath bombs bubbling up in a bath. Like, that's yeah. that's an advert. That is yeah. a promo. I don't see, from looking back at their stuff, any evidence of them actually having listening conversations with people all they're doing is roundabout ways of pushing their smelly crap (laughs) (laughs) yes uh smelly crap yeah i hate going into lush shops but that's a separate thing yes i i agree that their content in in the past has not been what you and i would terms of engaging and creating value but where they have tended to do that, I think, is on other channels. So using influencers, for example, and digging through more of what they've said, you know, in this long rolling statement that came out, it appears that they are still creating or allowing influencers to create content. So you can expect actually more user generated content, not less, in other channels. And obviously that is not going to be in their own social media channels but my reading of that would be that if they are investing more time and effort into influencers then their their visibility as a brand should go up not down well no it'll probably stay the same like it's fine it's it's a fine strategy to use influencers i think that's a great idea mm-hmm. but i think it's coming back to that thing that you said that they'd said earlier on around we want to hear more voices and this idea from a big corporate organization is we want to hear more nice voices saying nice things about us and because we made this really odd decision to support the spy cops campaign which i i you know which politically i'm on board with but it seemed strange for a brand of smelly soaps to do but fine if you're gonna make this bold stance and you're expecting everyone to love it and you're not expecting every police officer in the land on Twitter to come back and be a bit mean to you, then you don't understand what you're doing. And I think it feels like they just don't want to hear bad things anymore. It's putting their fingers in their ears. It's it's kind of going, we'll, go, we'll, we'll pay influencers to say nice things about us. And then if there's any bad stuff that comes back, they can handle that and we don't have to hear it. Yeah, see, the way they have explained dealing with that sort of customer service bad stuff I agree is a bit odd because they've talked about, they've been trying to push this hashtag lush community. So they're saying, well, if you've got anything to say, tag it lush community. I'm assuming they're not giving up social listening. I mean, who knows? But if they are encouraging that and you have no way to respond to that, that doesn't make a lot of sense for a start. No. And then they're saying in terms of this this direct, you know, get back to us with your comments, your customer service stuff, they've talked about live chat through the website, email and telephone. And from that perspective, I do agree with you that those channels are not what people want to use in general. Live chat may be. But I mean, who wants to make phone calls and who wants to send emails anymore, which 
you know, it might take 24 hours to get back to you or more sometimes. Yeah. So it, it is an odd one. I, I agree from that perspective. It's, it's just a strange way of saying, like I said, we're going to open up the conversation, but we're not allowing you to say specific things in certain places is a bit of an odd statement. It's odd and it shows a lack of resilience that if you're going to have one of these controversial campaigns, then you need to deal with the fallout and recognise that it'll be okay. And if... For instance, I I was I loved Lush products, which I don't because I have psoriasis and anything with that level of stink on it is not going to help my skin one bit. Um, but <laughs> if I'm a big fan and I'm like, oh, it's so lovely to buy shampoo in a bar. There's no plastic waste. I'm not going to like go on a live chat and chat and say thanks very much for your lack of plastic shampoo. Mm. Mm-hmm. it's like you're actually drowning out you're or you're there's a barrier to actually having conversations with communities because if there's no easy way to have that conversation then i'm not gonna say it yeah i'm gonna come back to that in just a second going back to the spy cops thing yeah i had a look at this Brandwatch did a really interesting little study on it i don't know a couple of months after all that had sort of died down and like you said, there was an, a, an initial massive backlash against that campaign. And it found out that 67%, so two thirds of all of all of the mentions of, of Lush in the first week after that all hit were negative. So it went from a massive positive to a massive negative. And I think, you know, given the nature of that, I would hope that they had expected a backlash to that. But that only lasted a few days. And within a week or so, they were back to being 80% positive mentions. And then you started to get this reaction to the reaction almost, where the likes of, I don't know, The Guardian and The Financial Times and MPs and everyone started to back the campaign. And Brandwatch looked at this and over the campaign period, I'm not sure what they define as the campaign period, I'm assuming, say, a month or so, sales increased by 14%. I don't know whether I was surprised. Are you surprised to hear that or not? Um, I'm not surprised because I think when you mess with a huge part of the of the UK, which is the police force, yeah. a, a huge amount of them are going to be your customers, and they're going to be really offended by this. It was a, it was something like paid to lie, wasn't it? It was a poster that they put up. That, yes, it was. It was something yes. that, of course. Personally, I think the whole spy cops thing was awful, but the way that they put it out there was was offensive to a police force that's trying to build relationships with the community. Like I come from this public sector background, so yeah. I know how well engaged this group of people are and how powerful they are. So I'm not surprised, really, that that word of mouth thing, if, if you're annoyed by a campaign, it's very easy to just go to Boots and buy your stuff there. But then, you know, like I say, over the course of this campaign, their sales had increased. I wonder from the perspective of using that as an example, I've been looking at who's been responding to this, uh, we're going off social media statement. And it's pretty apparent that the vast, vast majority of people who are talking about it or who are against this happening are people like you and me, people working in social media. And I wonder whether because we're in this marketing bubble, if you like, Everyone's getting a a lot of talk about it. There's a lot of kickback against it. But I wonder whether customers actually give a crap. Yeah, I think you're right. No, I I mean, it's not going to, in the short term, have any effect whatsoever on on the business itself. In the long run, as a brand, it needs to stay relevant. And if they're not in touch with their community in that same way, and if they have that level of 
absolute fingers in ears to anything that they don't like to hear, then I feel like the insights that they're getting as a business into how that brand is perceived are just going to be non-existent. They're just going to be one-sided. And yes, us marketing people, <laughs> we we care and no one else really does. But in the long term, I do think that if you believe that comms and marketing in a business has a function that is around leadership, that brings back insights that helps you understand your customers, customers more, then not being there is a really backwards move and it's not going to kill them straight away, but it might in the long term. And that goes back to what I said, I think before in that I I hope that they are not giving up social listening because that would be absolutely disastrous. If you're a regular listener to the podcast, or even if you're not, Digital Download Live takes place in May this year in London. This is the third year it'll be run, and it's going to be a fantastic day of presentations, audience-led Q&As, and interactive workshops. Digital Download Live is not one of those conferences where you go and sit passively in a huge auditorium listening to people talk for six hours. You'll meet like-minded individuals, you'll discuss ideas and opinions, and you'll get your hands dirty in highly practical sessions. This year, we're covering topics including the conflict between technology and humanity in marketing, voice marketing through smart speakers, authority link building, AI tools for communications people, paid social media, Instagram creativity, and brand transparency. For more information and booking details, go to ddl19.co.uk. That's ddl19.co.uk. I hope to see you there. One of the other areas where I agree with them in is that social media is changing a lot at the moment in terms of moving towards forms of dark social, whether it's WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger or Slack groups or, you know, lots of private stuff going on. And I have read stats to the effect that 63% of people prefer to have a private conversation to talk about an issue or to spread news than to post it on their social. And that's something that I guess I'm seeing from a brand perspective with the companies that I work with. And so my feeling was what Lush has done is maybe reflecting that trend. Yeah, I mean, I see that that's what they think they've done, or that's the that's the reason why they might be doing it. I think it's all about relevance, really, and, and different context. Like, for instance, I work with charities a lot. So if you're doing a campaign around checking your testicles, that your charity is a cancer charity, then perhaps something like a WhatsApp group or a private area is going to be a much better place to have open and honest conversations because people don't necessarily want to go on their Facebook page with no, everyone no, looking at that. But much of the stuff that we talk about on face on Facebook and the, the more public social media is around making ourselves look good, associating ourselves with brands. Mm -hmm. It's about our identity. And if Lush has these kind of environmental credentials and beauty, it's just got no excuse. Why wouldn't you want people to, like, why wouldn't you take that massive opportunity to get people to align themselves with your brand and show their peers that they're part of you? Now, I know that they can do this with influencers, but they could do it themselves as well. And I just don't understand why they wouldn't ramp that up by having a better social media strategy that really hooks into this idea of I buy Lush because I'm Lush and I'm environmental as well. Um, I'm from South Wales, so I can't think of the word Lush without thinking of positive things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it is that kind of, it just seems 
again, I work with public sector organisations, right? So if a council can work out algorithms and get people to talk productively with them, why can't a completely nice brand for profit do it as well without crying that they have to spend money to reach their audience? I I agree with them. And I do believe actually that public sector and private sector are very different. And I do think there are different, even in the um, consumer brands, for example, there are different levels of brand out there. So to give you an example, one of my current clients that I'm working with is a recruitment agency for temporary recruitment. Very kind of difficult area in terms of the sorts of people you're targeting. But I've been working with them now for two or three months. And when I came to them, they were doing exactly the sort of stuff you expect from brands and companies and Lush, actually, just talking about products effectively. So they were posting just endless jobs. And I looked at competitors and that's exactly what they were doing. There's no differentiation between them all. So I put a strategy together based on what you and I would consider best practice, which is about adding value and having, you know, opinions on things that matter. And and this company are very behind that. They they want to drive up standards in recruitment, which are notoriously quite poor. So we've been doing a lot of content around simple things like understanding your pay slip, which you and I might, but a lot of people who are in sort of temporary and, and, and lower paid jobs don't. They just get their pay and they go home. So things about uh, workers' rights and all this sort of stuff, trying to educate people. To my mind, this content should go down an absolute storm because they're not just selling things. They're trying to educate people. They're trying to help people. But it is proving really, really difficult. Even with a paid budget behind it is proving difficult because people don't appear to want to get involved in those sorts of conversations. Yeah. And that has really surprised me. And I, I just wonder whether that is a, a part of a bigger trend that we're seeing now where people don't so much want to comment on posts and get involved in conversations. And I'm not saying they never do, but I personally don't think there's any doubt that it's far harder now. Do you disagree with me on that? I do if the strategy is about positioning the brand as the person always telling you what to do this is how you do that we know this we're yep. going to tell you about our product but we're also going to tell you how to use our product mm-hmm. and I'll do social media strategy with all sorts of different organizations and the first thing we look at is when you have a key audience a, a, a segmented audience that you want to have conversations mm-hmm. with what are the things that get on their nerves in life what are the yep. things that make them laugh? What are the experiences that they share that we can unite them about? And those things absolutely get people commenting. And once they started to comment on that, then you can bring in your educational stuff and you've built the trust up. But it's like the cartoons for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to give people answers. I'm not saying when someone asks you to make your strategic engagement framework go viral, I'm not saying here's the answer on how to do that. I'm just saying isn't it funny that we get asked to do that and the conversations will ensue and I think every brand that's trying to do this well on social is forgetting you don't have to be the big I am knowing everything on this let people have their say let them have a conversation and let that play out and be one of the voices in there who goes really good ideas we've got this idea about how you do it is that any use or what you know you just you turn it into this much more human conversation but there's a lot of this almost kind of broadcast pushing out content. Why don't people like it? And yeah, yeah if, if we're going to use an old model of marketing, 
with a new media, it's not going to work and you're going to have to pay to get it seen. But when that piece of content gets seen by your key audience and it gets ignored, then you know that it wasn't right. So try something different. Yeah. What I'm seeing with things, you know, companies like Lush are going, oh, then we put money behind it and it's not working. Well, stop putting money behind stuff that doesn't work. Yeah, and I totally agree with that. Absolutely. And it's difficult to know. It's difficult to comment on that, certainly from my perspective, as to how much they have tried to tweak that strategy and change it and try different things i quite simply i don't know no i don't know and uh, you know if if spy cops is the example of them trying to do something different and you can see why perhaps they've they've backed away from it given the reaction to that at the time but yeah i mean i I don't know how much strategic tweaking they've done there i mean i guess when when i look at their statement it's all a bit wishy-washy And this happened with Weatherspoons, which is about a year to the day, actually, since they pulled off social media. It made me a bit angry, actually, at that time, because I had all the same arguments. I thought it was illogical. I thought they're being quite petty. I looked back at their content at the time, and it was, like you said, all self-promotional stuff. Go to this pub and get a pint at a half price, or go and get a pie here, or that sort of stuff. And it was just like, well, what do you expect? Maybe my stance has softened on it because of what I'm seeing in the last year. So what are you seeing? What are you seeing in the last year that's changed your view? Well, the trends in the visibility of brands, I think, have gone down a lot. So it's it's harder to get cut through. And I, I think partly that is due to what you're saying about content. But partly, I think that people are becoming less and less interested in content from brands, quite simply. And the other thing is around the dark social thing. Even if we share this podcast, right, and we'll put it on social because that's part of what we do, I expect that to get, I don't know, because people tell me it gets shared a lot in email and in, you know, Messenger and that sort of places. And so that, again, that is a trend that we're just seeing more and more of. And those things changing over the past year, I think, must have had an impact on this decision. Again, it's a bit wishy-washy, so you don't really know, but that would be my take on it. That's what I've seen change in the last year. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, what I, uh, the way I feel about it is the whole statement that's like a threaded tweet yeah. seems like a way to justify the fact that some senior managers come in and gone, this is getting too much now and we don't want to spend money on this if all we get in is negative stuff. Let's find another way mm-hmm. rather than this is an incredibly strategic move because we're not getting reach. And I'll take you up on your point around people are getting less and less interested in branded content. They were never interested in branded content. Nobody wanted to see it. It's just that algorithms didn't filter it out. So they had no choice. Most marketing content is crap. Yeah, I agree. And I, I have originated much of it in my career. so I'll, I'll, But I mean, it's not crap. Some of it is creative genius. <laughs> and if it's an ad, it's an ad. But if it's not, it's not what we want, is it? I didn't join Facebook to read a corporate press release about something. No. I didn't join Twitter to read branded content. I joined to connect and feel like I wanted to express who I am and connect with people who are cool. And sometimes if you think of an, like a brand like Innocent... They have managed to get people raving about them. Their tone of voice is all about talking about things that unite people. When the clocks go back, they've got a piece of content that's funny about that. When they're not saying, buy our smoothies, buy our smoothies, what's your favourite smoothie? They're actually talking about things that people want to go on Twitter and talk about. So their reach is brilliant. I mean, I suppose you could say I'm in a filter bubble there, but I see their content in all places. 
Yeah, uh, uh, and Innocent's always held up as a good example, and I, I totally agree with Innocent. And it's funny you say about the clock spoke back content. Do you know they reel that same thing out every six months, <laughs> twice a year, yeah. and they've done it for about five yeah. years? It's the one thing I always see from Innocent. It's just an aside there. It um, still but, works. <laughs> I guess I see I see Innocent as a bit of an outlier because the number of companies and brands who come to me and say we want to be like Innocent. And I say to them, you can't really be like innocent because innocent's innocent. You've got to be who you are. Yeah, but you can still learn the lessons of what they're doing is creating audience-focused content, not organisation-focused content. Yes, and I guess when I'm talking content from a brand, I don't. I, I, I agree with you. I, I'm not talking about branded content as such because you're right. Who who gives a crap about that? I, I certainly don't. You don't. No one does. I'm just talking about content published by a brand. But I guess... Like I say, I don't know this. I would like to have seen Lush try a more conversational strategy with people before mm. they made this, but maybe they have in the past. Who knows? They might have done. I think I've been very harsh on them without knowing the full situation, but it doesn't look good. No, and likewise, I'm being the opposite without knowing the full situation <laughs> as well. But, okay, just to, to kind of summarise then, my feeling is that I maybe respect them for making the decision I don't like the way they've done it particularly, but I think the whole thing of creating kind of an army of advocates who are going to talk about their brand and the fact that they are reflecting the trend of dark social means that I, I am behind them. I hope that they are not giving up on social listening. And I do think that maybe they they haven't thought about through how how people can actually contact them effectively, which is, would be my worry because email and telephone just doesn't cut it nowadays. What's kind of the crux of why you think this is a really poor decision from them? Well, I think the crux is in the way they've worded their tweets. So this idea that the algorithms are the bad guy, the algorithms are stopping us from having conversations. And I can understand if something doesn't work that you need to change it and you might want to invest your efforts elsewhere. But saying social media doesn't work is like saying a hammer doesn't work because you keep hitting your face with it. It's like, <laughs> it's not working for you, but that doesn't mean that you're doing it right necessarily. And it's just playing into this whole idea that, don't get me wrong, I think social networks generally and the people that run them are evil, but it's playing into this idea that social media itself is evil. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about a brand here, we're talking about a big for-profit brand crying about having to spend some money to reach its audience who it supposedly loves and yeah. you know try listening to them and having conversations with them and you won't have to spend any money and that is my my general take on it okay fantastic all right well i'm sure helen would love to know and i'd love to know what people think about this having heard kind of two sides to this so you know please do drop us a message on twitter or linkedin or somewhere cuz cuz we're both open on social yeah. um to, to let us know what you think. Thank you so much for joining me, Helen. Really appreciate Thank it. You. And it's very short notice. And I, I do appreciate that. My pleasure. Where can people get hold of you if they want to talk to you further? I am all over everything, really. So I'm Hell Reynolds on most things. I've got a, a fairly shoddy Instagram that's just got my cartoons on it. Um, <laughs> and that's Hell Reynolds. I'm on Hell Reynolds on Twitter, which I'm always on. And find me on LinkedIn or, you know, Snapchat me, anything but your privates. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Cheers.
You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you've got any ideas for future topics you'd like to see covered, or people you'd like to hear from, contact me on Twitter, where I'm at the Paul Sutton. Thank you for listening.